Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Vlaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking to Laura Heller. She is a music therapist, teacher of the deaf, and a professor at Malloy College and founder of Baby Fingers. It's actually the baby sign language program that we run at Prenatal Yoga Center. It was a joy to speak to Laura about baby sign language and all the benefits. I've known Laura 12-ish years. Um, It's been a a fantastic relationship with her and a wonderful conversation. So I hope you enjoy that. Before we get to that, just a few announcements. I am so excited about the re-release or the relaunch of my online program, Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? It is a five-week course online and we meet once a week on, we start April 2nd and goes to the end of April. And it is for yoga teachers who are not necessarily specialized in prenatal yoga or who want more information. And if you're a regular teacher and you haven't had prenatal training, you never a pregnant student walk into your class, you may feel very overwhelmed at what to do. And sometimes that student then gets ignored. So this program is to support the pregnant student in a general class and arm the teacher with some more information to really support that pregnant student. And it's also great for pregnant students. If you're still going to general classes and you want to know a little bit more what to do and maybe your teacher doesn't know, this can teach you. And then also we're finalizing, or actually we finalized plans for uh, returning to Charlotte, North Carolina for our teacher training. So I can't believe that's already up on our website, already registering people. The spring training begins in just two weeks. The fall training is almost full. I am so blessed that I get to do what I love and meet amazing people along the way. So if any of this resonates with you, check out our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and join me for some of these offerings. Okay. And then last thing, we have been so blessed that we've been getting donations um, for the podcast because it is truly a passion project of mine, labor of love. Uh, But we need to still pay the troops, pay the team that puts it together. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those that have left a donation. It means so much to me. And sometimes those donations are also in a form of a rating review. So if you are enjoying what you're listening to, take a moment, run over to iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. I think those are the ones we're on and leave a rating review so other people can find this. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk with Laura. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hi, Deb. I'm great. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> Absolutely. This is fun. I have known you for, I was actually trying to do the math. And do you have any idea when Baby Finger started at PYC? I feel like it was 12 years ago, maybe It was more? somewhere around there. It was at least 12 years ago. Okay. I'm trying to picture how young my children were at that time, because every so often they came into the studio with me. Yes. And they're in... One's in college, right? Yes. They're now 19 and 17. Oh, so the 17 starting to, is he, what is he, junior or senior? Actually a senior. They're, they're <gasps> almost 20 and 18. I have grown-ups. 
Oh my goodness. I can't even wrap my head around that. Just yesterday was Sage's fifth birthday. So I know. It's crazy. It is so crazy. So much bigger. But I was thinking like I've just known you for so much of my career at the studio and just watching your kids grow up. You've watched me have kids. And this is the first time we've really actually sat and chatted. We always see each other in passing. Like I'm like running out of the studio to go somewhere. So this is as you're done teaching, I'm starting to teach. Yeah, so this will be really exciting. All right, so for those listening, I've already, you know, they've already heard a little bit about just you from the intro, but why don't you just start with a little bit about yourself and how you made your way into sign language and working with babies? Great, great. So I'm a music therapist who then went on to get my master's in deaf education and found a really amazing way to combine the two through baby fingers. But initially, When I was eight years old, I didn't grow up in New York, um, but I loved theater. And my mom brought me to New York and I saw Children of a Lesser God on Broadway. And for an eight-year-old or nine-year-old, it was quite a sophisticated show to watch, but I was captivated by the sign language. And so much so that one of the characters, his actual, the true actor's name stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I'll come back to that in a sec. (laughs) So I was so excited by the sign language that I started to want to learn a little bit. But it wasn't until I was 16 that I was a counselor at the overnight camp where I grew up. And there was a deaf camper. He was 11. And I really started learning sign language from him that summer. And then became involved in the deaf community in Rochester where I grew up. When I moved to New York, I wound up meeting that deaf actor that I saw as a child in Children of a Lesser God and have since gotten to know him very well. And we've done some theater workshopping together. And through some of my deaf friends in the theater world, I was really encouraged to get baby fingers going. So it was a combination of support from the deaf community, research that I had done as a music therapist and a deaf educator, my thesis, and then my child starting to sign. I decided that I was going to bring all of that work into my life at home and see before I really, other than knowing that my research was was valid, before I really bring it to other people, I'm going to see if it works for me at home. And it was incredible. My kids started signing so young and to have that opportunity to communicate and connect in that way was just unbelievable. So So how old were they at that point? Just over six months. Oh, so really? Okay. So the age of baby fingers, actually what we have for our students. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. I was signing with them really from day one and Um, it was through just repetition and our morning routine signing, good morning. I love you. That one day he approximated the sign for, I love you. And that was, it wasn't even need based. It wasn't like he was asking for milk. He was telling me something, however much he understood of it. He was telling me something that he knew that I was saying to him every day and it felt good. It was incredible. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. So from that, how did you create the program? So I had a a general curriculum that I had developed through my master's thesis because it was a pilot program that I had set up. And so from there, I, I reworked it to combine a lot of my work as a music therapist, some of which I had done with deaf and hard of hearing children, and put together 
um, this curriculum that kind of evolved over the first few years as I was working with deaf and hearing babies, um, as well as what my own children were responding to most. So it was a combination of that hands-on practical work and um, what I know as an early childhood special educator. I think, yeah, what I like about baby fingers is it's not just, okay, we're going to learn to baby sign language, not just like, here are some hands. It's a ring in so much music and fun. And I have to tell you, the songs stick in my head because I've been behind the desk when you have done baby right. fingers. And then for the rest of the day, hello, hello to you, like in my head yes. for yes. hours and days. Which <laughs> I know can be a little bit annoying sometimes, but I think <laughs> that's a big part of what helps the parents or the caregivers, whomever's in class, go home and remember what they've done in class. So that music really serves as a memory aid. Oh, and absolutely. Then, yep. Yep. <laughs> I get the point of it, but yes. yeah, it really does stick. So let's back up and explain how baby sign language is different than an adult signing to one another. So it's a really good question. And I want to just clarify that baby sign language in itself is not a language. So there, there are people that, that really say I'm teaching baby sign language. What I say is baby fingers fits into that category of baby sign language classes. But what we really teach is vocabulary from American sign language that babies approximate and adapt based on their, their motor coordination. Because they don't have the dexterity yet to do all of that more intricate stuff. I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. So while we do, we have so much else going on in our brain and it's harder to learn a second language as adults, um, that we might struggle in the same way. They are so prone to gesturing and pointing and they want to take in language and communicate that oftentimes their approximations become more accurate signs more quickly than we realize, but it goes with their their physical development, their motor skills. But so anyway, it's really not much different than the way an, an adult would speak uh, through American Sign Language, except that the baby might do an approximation or they're using um, individual words as opposed to full sentences. Very much like the way a baby develops spoken language. Right, they, might they don't first come out say, speaking a whole sentence. <laughs> right. They might first say baba for bottle and right. then eventually get uh, want baba or something like that and eventually put it together. However, the first signs come so much earlier than those mm-hmm. first words can. Oh, this is fascinating. So you and I were talking a little before I actually hit record about I remember years ago, and I remember we couldn't quite figure it out. Like, I'm thinking like 10, 12 years ago, there's this big thing about baby Mozart. And it was like, it's going to improve your baby's intelligence. And then it was debunked. But I do know there's actual research for baby sign language and its benefits. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So back in the 80s, there were sort of two primary schools of thought. There were two women out in California who did a lot of research demonstrating the benefits of any kind of signing and gesturing with your baby. And they did a longitudinal study that demonstrated over time that by second or third grade, those children who had been using signs or gestures since infancy had a vocabulary of... um, 
not remembering now exactly, but way advanced of their non-signing peers. Mm -hmm. And a general IQ score, an average IQ score of 12 points higher than their non-signing peers. So that was a tremendous, I think, motivator for a lot of people to want to start signing. And then there was another person out in Seattle, Washington, who focused not just on general signing, but specifically on American Sign Language with hearing and deaf babies and found that they also were able to communicate at a much, much earlier age with a larger vocabulary, understanding of synonyms. And what I have found as a music therapist is there are studies that have indicated the, the, the pairing of sign and song for nonverbal, preverbal, or children who are learning English as a second language to be able to really get a better handle on language and be able to communicate using the signs taught through songs and musical play. What about when a child, because I know if they can't verbally talk it, have you found it uh, lessens frustration of not being able to communicate? Yes, significantly, both for children. And um, for the adults. (laughs) Yes, and for the adults, yes. And regardless of special need or typically developing What's important is that if children are understanding what's coming in, if their receptive language is on par, then their expressive language will come. And if it doesn't, then there's something unrelated to their language development. It's really the oral motor mechanism or some other development that's causing a a lag in that speech development. And so I think it's really important to understand that, that the the sign language will completely decrease that frustration because even if a child can't get what they're asking for, like it's not time for a cookie, for example, <laughs> but mom or dad or caregiver understands that they're asking for a cookie, that can go a long way. Right. So, Otherwise, it can just turn into a tantrum. And then you're like, exactly. I don't know what you're asking for. Exactly. And then once they start speaking, if it's hard to understand what they're saying, but they can clarify it with a sign, that can help tremendously. My own son loved flowers when he was little, and he loved telling me that the flowers were gorgeous, which must have been the word I used for them. And one day he was signing flowers and saying something with a G sound. And I, I didn't put two and two together until I asked him to sign it for me. And he used the sign for beautiful or pretty, which is also the sign for gorgeous, and said that word again. And I was like, that's it. He's telling me they're gorgeous. So with that one sign, he already understood multiple words that could be used to describe something. It was so exciting. And then he wasn't frustrated. Oh, this is amazing. I did a little bit because you gave me a sign book of yours and you you signed it for me. It was lovely. (laughs) And I used it for my son. And I have to admit, being the, I'm going to berate myself a little, slightly bad parent for my second child. Um, I don't know if anyone ever else, I don't know if you felt that with your kids, like the first tend to get a little bit more attention. Oh, sure. (laughs) The second one is always the second one. Yes. So Sage, my lovely now five-year-old, did not get sign language, but Shay did. And I wonder if I had done that because she, she wasn't the clearest speaker. Now, Shay's speech was oddly clear very early. 
But, and so he was able to communicate and he had great speech and we did some of the sign language that you had given me, but Sage, even to this day, she's just, you know, she's still in pre-K. It's not as clear as he was. And I, I wish had I done that, I'm curious if it could have helped our frustration of not knowing, even like at, at two or three, still not getting complete clarity. Absolutely. There were times when my children had the spoken English words to tell me something, but they were too upset to be able to get the words out. And the signs came back Mm. to be able to sign, to tell me why they were upset or why they were angry through their tears signing because they were just too upset to say the words really, really helpful. Yeah. Because tantrums are big. So I want to bring up a point that I've heard some some of the parents say around the studio there one parent I remember just saying she was she liked the idea because her friends were doing it it could be a fun social thing but she was concerned that if she taught sign language that would prolong the child verbally speaking have you heard that before so it's a typical question there is a lot of concern among hearing parents with their hearing babies um that or even hearing parents with their deaf babies that if we sign how is my child going to really develop spoken language? And our primary concern of baby fingers is that communication develops prior to speech because you can communicate with your baby and your baby back with you through sign language, potentially as young as six or eight months old, whereas they can't communicate using speech until well after their first birthday for some close to their second. And so what the sign language does is it provides an early language and an early bridge to communication. What research has shown and what our experience in our program has shown is that it motivates spoken language as opposed to slowing it down. Right. And that most often, if there is an issue with spoken language, that it's unrelated to the sign language. So for example, my own children, both of them, were signing about six and a half months old and putting two signs together at 10 months old. We were having full conversations before they had speech. It was incredible. And they were still relatively early speakers, but they both had some oral motor weakness, some low muscle tone. And so as a result, there were sounds that were hard for them to make. That's one of the notes. So they got some, some therapy and some training for that and got past it. But one of the things that was so essential about the sign language was even with those speech difficulties, it was an, it was a, uh, a muscle, uh, development thing that had nothing to do with their signing, but the frustration around that was alleviated again, because they could sign and they can communicate. So, so exactly. it wasn't just like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Right. Exactly. So that's what I think I could have benefited with the sage a little, cause sure. she would try to speak, but it was just a little bit Jumble. I mean, she was speaking. I just couldn't figure out exactly all the consonants that were mumbling together. And the two are really separate, language development versus speech development. And it's a different side of the brain that's being stimulated for sign language. So it's they don't necessarily go hand in hand. The language development motivates and supports the speech development, Mm -hmm. but an issue, but having that won't cause an issue with the with the speech coming along. So how early, so you're saying six months, but we, I know we have students that are having their babies and they're like three or four months. So what are you seeing the age range? And are you also seeing them continue? Like how far, what are your thoughts on that? So most of our 
baby with grown-up classes are for ages 24 months and under, though we do have a class that's also for three years and under. We do find that our classes incorporate babies as young as two or three months, like you said, up through two or three years, depending on how soon the family feels ready to come out to classes. Um, Some families are bilingual already at home, and they've heard, and there is some research that supports that bringing in sign language can help bridge the gap between those two spoken languages at Mm -hmm. home. So it's a really nice addition to that. So they're starting early. Um, But also, it's sometimes you're just eager to get out and, like you mentioned, be social with other parents and meet other people that have you know, like-minded interests. And so I always say the younger your baby has accessible language and exposure to it, the younger they're likely to start signing back with you. Mm -hmm. If you start at four or five months, you might see your baby starting to sign at somewhere between six to eight months. Whereas if you start between six to eight months, you may not see your baby starting until closer to 10 months. But Now, if they start after a year old, they could start signing in their first class. Mm -hmm. And for the older toddlers and preschool kids, it's really to clarify words that they're having a difficult time speaking or to solidify American Sign Language as a second language for them. Mm -hmm. So there's really no right or wrong time. But just to understand that the younger you start, you may have a younger signer but it may be a longer process that you're going through. So a lot of that work early on is that the the families, the caregivers and parents are taking home what they learn in class and really, really being consistent with it at home, whether it's one sign or five signs or however many they remember. I also find it's so much more of a focused type of class than just a general music class. I'm not putting down general music class. I loved them. I I did a ton of them. But because it's so, you're really looking at your baby, it's direct communication as opposed to, we're just going to sing and wave some flags around. You know, it just feels so much more like I am communicating with you. And whether it's a parent or caregiver, we are eye to eye. You're looking at me. We're working together. It just seems a different type of relationship. It is. And I think that's part of what really helps how our program really helps develop a a bond and and strengthen the bond between Mm -hmm. the the child and the caregiver. Because in order to sign with each other, you have to have eye contact. You have to look at each other face to face. And I think it helps the grown up to stop and look Put at the their phone child. away. Exactly. Are, I, I mean, I really think there's something to that because how many classes, art classes, or music classes, the kids are doing it and the caregivers on their phone. And I mean, I did it too. What, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm the mother and I sure. still, but it really forces you like, we're doing this one-on-one. I think there's something really special about that. I do find when phones come out in our class, it's that they're taking pictures of what's happening yes, with, their, with the child <laughs> as opposed to doing something else because they, they do have to be engaged Present. in the process. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what and about, it's really, yeah. oh, I just wanted to mention that yeah, yeah. it's really helpful in that way for speech and language in general, because when, when you're looking at each other, when you have that FaceTime, not only are you seeing the sign language, but you're watching your grown-up's mouth move. Mm-hmm. Your baby is seeing and hearing how the speech is developed as well. So that whole combination is really helpful. Oh, I totally agree. Now, you and I both come from the theater background. So, you know, going to music classes and singing out loud, 
I loved it. I was like the one parent that was like really into everything. Yes. So what do you, how do you help the parents that are more self-conscious that, you know, like they're not open to singing or do you think they get over it because they're doing this for their child? I do think some get over it because they know it's for their child. Every so often I have somebody who's really concerned about singing out loud and I discover they have a beautiful voice. Other times somebody who maybe doesn't sing so beautifully just is so into the songs in class. And it's wonderful because regardless of how you sing, your voice is your baby's favorite because your voice is the voice that your baby's most comfortable and familiar with. So I tend to use a story that my husband has always told because he grew up in a family of musicians, except his mom, who (laughs) was an appreciator of music, but not a musician herself. However, she was the one who always sang the bedtime lullabies. And so her children grew to love, this is my favorite lullaby. It's comforting. It puts me to sleep. Until one night, dad came in with his beautiful voice to sing that lullaby. And my husband said to his dad, you're singing it wrong. That's not how mom does it. And it was really because mom has no tone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. However, that was the tone that all of her children loved and adored. And so it is your voice. I always appreciate it when a parent says to me, your voice is so soothing and my baby loves your voice. And But it's still your voice, mom or dad, that baby is most comfortable and familiar with that will be most soothing to them. So I so can sing really, out. My, my mom has, sing out, Louise. My mom has, it's, it's probably toned up. I have no, but not musical. And she would always sing. And it wasn't until I think I was, uh, you know, went off to school and came back and heard her sing one time. I'm like, oh, you're really <laughs> That's how <awful."> it sounds. <laughs> you know, there was a separation. I'm like, that's, yeah. And I always, you know, I enjoyed singing with her. We do a lot of singing in our house where everything is. We do well. Even like brushing teeth, there's a song. And if I don't, my daughter's like, sing. Yes. Everything's, everything's to a song, probably to the annoyance of my husband, but everything's <laughs> to a song. So let's talk a little bit about how, and I go, this is a little more anecdotal, but so your kids were able to sign very little and helped communication. Did you find it impacted your parenting, having that communication? It did. And when I look back, I think it helped me to slow down. It helped me to be, I think, less anxious as a new mom in certain situations. And even, for example, when they were a little bit more mobile and got a little further away from me in the playground, for example, I could still sign to them from a distance and know that they would understand that I was signing stop or dangerous or wait for me um, or great job. And so I do think that it allowed me to be sort of more comfortable in my parenting in a variety of situations. Even to the point where um, if they were getting if they were getting antsy on the changing table, I'd be able to just sign change. We're almost finished mm-hmm. and it would help calm them down. Now I'm thinking about times mainly when I go into the supermarket with them and they see everything they want and I'm like, nope, we're not going to get that. We're not going to get that. And I'm starting to get frustrated and I don't want to raise my voice because, you know, we're in the middle of Whole Foods or something. Right? Did you... Were, <laughs> I don't want to be a spectacle, but was that something even as they got 
older that you'd be like, stop. Or like, I said no, instead of having to be like verbally calling attention to yourself. Yes. I will say that many, many times in situations like that or other public situations, being able to sign things like stop, or I gave you three choices or uh, something like that was extremely helpful. And to the point where I'll give you an example, we were uh, visiting an elderly family member whose spouse had died. And I was hugely pregnant with my second child. So my older one was almost two. And we were in this very fancy apartment with a lot of people and a lot of things. And he got way to the other side of this huge living room and I couldn't navigate through to him. And he was in a phase where he looked at me before he did something he shouldn't do. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to drop this. <laughs> yes. Now, whereas my younger one would look at me and then still do it, my older one got to these very fancy things, stopped, looked at me across this huge living room, and I signed in my most silent but sternest way possible, touch no. <laughs> and he looked at me and went, oh, didn't do it and came back, made his way over to me. And it was just a moment that I will never forget because it could have gone the other way. And nobody knew that there was a potential issue there or that he had to be redirected or anything like that. It was really phenomenal. And again, he wasn't, he wasn't even two yet. Yeah, I would have been the crazy parent, like, stop! And everyone would have looked, and it been totally inappropriate. Shay, put that down! Like, I could, which right. I still do. <laughs> well, so do I, however. There were so many more moments where I didn't have to. <laughs> but that's wonderful. It's really yes. great. So I feel like there's so much about baby, baby sign language. There's anything I didn't ask that you think is really relevant for people to know as they're learning about it or considering it? Well, I do think a couple things to think about. One is that... A lot of people look at it as something that is too foreign to them. It's too hard to learn. Um, come and try it because it's super fun. And that's yes. one It's really so much fun. And maybe you'll benefit from it. And if nothing else, you'll have had one series of classes that you really enjoyed. And maybe you'll, you will take it further and maybe you won't. It doesn't have to be a, a lifelong thing. It could help you get through a short period of time with your baby, which can be really, really helpful. And then also for parents out there who do have babies who are born either without hearing or with limited hearing or with other issues that cause a speech and language issue, that it also doesn't have to be your lifelong form of communication with your child, but can help get through and get past some barriers early on. And to think back on that research that demonstrated higher IQ and all of that, every so often I'll get asked, will my baby be smarter because of this? Well, maybe. Yeah, we have I'm no not, guarantees. I'm not going to guarantee <laughs> your baby will get into Harvard as a result of this, but your baby will likely have a larger vocabulary um, some, some ease in communication and maybe even some improved social skills as a result. And hopefully your bond will be that much stronger. Mm -hmm. No, I get that about yoga. If I do prenatals, my birth can be easier. I'm like, well, I can't guarantee it, but what I can guarantee is you're more educated about it and you know your body better. So all of that is a plus. So yeah, there's no, there's no guarantee. There's really no downside. Exactly. You're spending time with your child. You're doing something interesting, unique, and it's not just your everyday class. So I'm also curious a little bit about, so you started baby fingers 
from your thesis, what gave you the idea that you can make a business out of it? Because as a business owner, I'm just so curious about, and again, I'm kind of diverting. So some people will be like, okay, I have no interest, but why not? Let's dive into a little bit. Sure. What, how did you even get the idea that you can make classes and then take it from place to place? Well, at that point or prior to that point, I don't know that I actually envisioned myself as a business owner. However, I did have a music therapy private practice, and I sort of looked at this as a possible extension of that private practice. And I think what really got me going was initially it was friends of mine with their kids coming to my apartment and then too many people who were interested. So I spoke to the person that I took Lamaze classes from and she said, you can rent my space. And so I charged a small fee, just enough really to cover the rent. And then the interest just grew. And I thought, okay, I'll charge a little more and I'll offer more classes so that I can cover the fees. And then people in Brooklyn heard about it and people in in other parts of New York heard about it. And I was traveling all over the place. And then I was like, I have a baby. I can't do this anymore. And so I met people who were either qualified or had similar skill sets that were interested in training to be part of my staff. And I thought, this is a, this is actually a business model I could develop. And so it just kind of happened organically in that way. And then I was able to really create a business plan and a business model where I have independent contractors that are trained in my program that can help bring it from place to place. And we've grown from there, but it was really Initially, the motivation from my children signing and then my husband saying, as he learned along with the kids, saying Mm -hmm. other parents need to learn this. And then my friends getting so excited and telling their friends and other people being interested, it kind of just grew organically from there. So do you still do music therapy? I do. Yes. So I, I work part-time at Malloy College in Long Island. I'm a professor in the music therapy program there, undergrad and grad, in addition to some other responsibilities that I have there, helping our students get clinical training experiences. And so in that way, I'm staying in the the research and academia aspect of music therapy, but I still do provide some uh, private music therapy uh, to young children as well. Oh my gosh. I mean, cause I know your schedule, I, like your teaching schedule and you're, wow, you're all over it's the busy. It's, it's busy. It's busy. But I love what I do. I really do. I'm very, yeah, I can relate very to fortunate. That. Yeah. I can relate to that. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, I'm just going to ask you a little bit about a tip or piece of advice for new and expectant parents. We're just going to hold on for one moment. And we're back. So, Laura, all right, as a parent and someone who works constantly with kids, what is one tip or piece of advice you can offer new or expectant parents? So I want to say sign with your baby, but whether you do or don't, I would say find a time in your day, whether it's morning, afternoon, night, a time that you feel that you can be most invested in a few minutes of FaceTime with your baby whether you're signing, whether you're singing, whether you're talking, whatever kind of interaction it is, find one time during your day that you can say, I am going to sit down and have FaceTime with my baby. Because especially in this time of technology, 
it's harder and harder to do that. And that way, you know that every day you're going to at least have some unique, authentic interaction with your baby and it will go a long way. And I think from that, it will, it will expand your opportunity to do that on a daily basis. I, I love that piece of advice. I try to do, I don't try, I do that every day with my two kids. And I have to admit, I, sometimes I'm just tired by the end of the day. I have already, you know, gotten lunches ready for the next day and done dinner and cleaned up and bath and put them to sleep. And all I want to do is just go downstairs and I mean, I still work, but just have like time by myself. But every night I still sit in bed with my daughter and read to her and then sit in bed with my son. Now he actually reads next to me. So now we each have our own book. Oh, so and nice. We read, he reads his book. I read my book. But as much as I want to be done with my day, I know there's going to be memories, hopefully, that they're going to remember mommy was with me individually. Yes. And I and then you can attest to this as a parent of practically adults, mm-hmm. you don't have that same time. So you don't. I'm and trying you, you to savor it. missing it. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and while I don't always love every moment of reading Fancy Nancy or Pinkalicious, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I plow through it. I, I do try to remember there's going to be a time when they don't necessarily want me or it's just not part of our lives anymore. Exactly. So I, I, lo- I loved that piece of advice. It's something to really savor. I think it's really key and whatever time of day it is or whatever it is you're doing together to know and for your child to know that you'll have those moments. Yeah, because I'm sure your kids can look back and be like, this was our special language together. Like not their, a lot of their friends probably didn't have that. Exactly. Exactly. And I will say my children were not the easiest to put down to bed at night. And there were certainly nights where I was like, can't I just walk out and close the door and have them go to sleep? But those times where we were spending a little more time helping them fall asleep, those were actually times where they signed more or talked more or told us more about their day. And so it was really kind of special. Oh, I love that. All right. So where can people find your work? So check our website, mybabyfingers.com. We offer classes all around Manhattan. We're also in Brooklyn and Queens. We're in Hoboken, New Jersey, and in Long Island. We also offer some live online classes and just free resources on our website as well. So check the website again, mybabyfingers.com. Email us, info at mybabyfingers.com. We're happy to answer questions and supply other resources for you as well. And for the Upper West Siders or PYC community, I think we have three classes running right now. We at PYC. do. Currently two and starting March 13th, we'll have the it's third. It's just a couple so. weeks away. It's, it's one it. of our most popular classes. I adore it. I think there's just, it's just such a special class and just so unique. So I am thrilled that you've been part of the fabric of our studio for years and it just continues to grow. It's really been such a delight. And the community has really developed so beautifully there where every session we have new families coming in and returning families coming back. So it's just wonderful. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful to watch that. And I see the yoga students, cause you know, a lot of them at some point age out of like the baby and me classes, but they're still part of our community. And I yes. love that we can say you can do this for years. You know, they can keep coming for a while. It makes right. me so happy. And our curriculum just grows with them. So it's really exciting. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated our chat today. 
Deb, thank you. I appreciate it as well. I love this supportive community and I love prenatal yoga center. Thank you. All right. Be well. You too. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.